Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I'm fortunate to be your host. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in to the Next Level Minds podcast, then this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, we sit down with a qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, mover and shaker in their industry, and really walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, if you have not done this yet, take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts so you can get some updates on new episodes and share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague. If there's a couple of tidbits in here that you think one of them could, could really grasp, feel free to share it out. Now on to today's guest, I am sitting down with Gary Fry. Gary has a super interesting story, but currently right now he's working with BGWCPA, where what he does is coaches various business owners and CEOs to help them properly scale their business. His story is really unique because he has been part of a lot of different organizations and really had some failures along the way, but also have had some very high level successes as well. So I'm super excited to sit down for him to get both perspectives. He also takes health very seriously, so excited to dive in on that a little bit as well. But uh, no, I've known Gary for a while, and uh, I know this will definitely be a solid episode, so I'm excited for all the listeners out there to, to listen to him today. But other than that, I wanted to thank everyone else for uh, taking the time to listen to the Next Level Minds podcast. Really appreciate your support. Gary, thanks for taking the time to be on the Next Level Minds podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, it's good to be on here. Now, Next Level Minds, you know, that's all going to be relative. <laughs> it is. So. Well, well, for this one, we got Next Level Mind, which is just you. I'm, I'm getting there on the Next Level Minds. Okay. Version, all right. So. Yeah, man. But uh, how's the week been? I know we're recording on Thursday, so has it been all right on your end? It has. As they say in Nashville, we're just grooving and chucking, baby. We're just grooving and chucking. Taking it step by step. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way to live, right? Totally. One day at a time. Grateful for each day, each breath that we get. It's a gift. And treat it as such. Yeah. So you just said that grateful, which actually is my first question. I uh, I know you do the TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Uh, and I watch a lot of those videos on LinkedIn. And to the listeners out there, I'm going to plug his LinkedIn profile in the, in the show notes. I mean, you're super pumped up, super positive on those. So wh- where does that like stem from and everything? So, yeah, so it's totally grateful. It's Fry, F-R-E-Y-D-A-Y. It's a play on my name because a lot of people call me Frey and it's actually Fry. Um, But I did it a year ago, a little over a year ago. I was thinking about all the people that have made a positive difference in my life. And some of them are no longer walking the face of this earth anymore. Many are. Um, but I wanted to find a meaningful way to honor them and to hopefully inspire somebody else. Because quite frankly, I feel like I learned more about gratitude when things were really bad in my life. 
really, really bad. Um, in 09, our private equity firm blew up and 30 million bucks worth of us got blown up. I lost pretty much everything except for my house. I had two kids in college. I did not want to wake up in the morning. I was not actively thinking about committing suicide, but I would actually like it was re- I had to get really intentional about finding something to be grateful for because I was living in a nightmare. Um, we were having multiple times a week as the firm blew up, lawsuits coming through, and I'd go, all right, so who's suing us today? And by the way, CEO gets ousted, one of my close friends, found out he was a complete fraud. We had invested in two Ponzi's on top of things. So 30 million bucks worth of us gets lost, blown up. But then we have ties into these stupid Ponzi's that I had invested my own money in as well. It was just a horrific experience. I mean, I'd been through a partner's financial improprieties. Let's just put it that way, mildly many years before that, my first turnaround, and that was nothing. That was like tiddlywinks compared Mm -hmm. to this. And it was in that period of time that I really had to focus on finding something to be grateful for every day. Because the, the mountain was so big and the things that were coming at us were so scary that it was easy to become very despondent. And I couldn't, you don't ignore those things. You you can't ignore those, but where are we going to put our focus? So finding things, and then it got solidified for me in 20, I think it was 2017 or 2018. It's 2018 in May. Um, I was given the opportunity to go through the BB&T Leadership Institute in Greensboro. And it's a week long, peel back the onion. It's a very intense thing. Uh, one of the execs actually sponsored me and gifted that to me. It's a $12,000 thing to go through it. But because um, I talk with a lot of people and I connect a lot of people, they're like, you know, we would really like you to experience it. And they just built this beautiful facility. It's unbelievable. And the the most important thing that I learned from that, and there are a lot of really interesting things. And like, like I said, they peel back the onion and you, you go deep but was a daily gratitude journal of three entries per day. I'm grateful for blah, blah, blah. And then a thought about that. And it's usually a prayer for me, like, you know, for being back in Charlotte, North Carolina, when I see blue skies after 13 winters in Cleveland, Ohio, one of those things typically every day is Lord, it is so good to see the Carolina blue skies and sunshine. Thank you. You know, like that's usually one of one of the things that's in there. But that's the whole point. And that's why I wanted to do this. But then I thought, well, do I have enough for at least a year? Mm -hmm. Well, I I just went through a a list of people and I had one hundred and four. So I'm like, well, that's two years. So I can do that. So I'm actually I think I've done 50 I don't know, 56 or something like that so far. So yeah, that's, so, the, that's the whole thing. No, that's so, okay. With that story, and you said that was 2009 where the whole 30 million kind of, yeah. okay. Yeah. So what was kind of your thought process doing all that? I mean, it, you said you didn't want to get out of bed. And I mean, how did you 
just kind of keep trucking along? Cause I, I imagine gratitude's not just like, let me flip the switch and now I'm grateful. I mean, what's no. the process there? I mean, it, it, it's a struggle. It, you know, they, they say the fight, fight the good fight of faith. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a fight. You have to fight, you know, that's not an autopilot. Like, because you just go with the stream and it's going to take you down. You have to swim against the stream and you have to swim hard. Um, But so, you know, here's what happened. We get our bank account seized, seized. The company bank accounts got seized by a hostile creditor our CEO had gotten us into a deal where we were supposed to raise 30 million. That's completely, it's coincidental that the amount of money lost was 30 million, but we were supposed to do a $30 million raise to do a museum, um, to raise a new art museum or something like that, a museum tower in Austin, Texas. Well, we had no business doing that. Like we had ultra high net worth families, but that was institutional type money. But our CEO was getting desperate. We He cut that deal and fin- finished it in like probably September or August, probably of 2008. Well, 2008, September 15th, to be exact. That's when massive crash, you know, is like 700 point drop in the Dow or in, in, in yeah, in Dow, something like that. Well, nobody's raising money and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse through 08 and 09. So in 09, this creditor seizes our bank accounts and we've got like four or five business days to deal with it. I call in our founder who exited the business in like, I don't know, 05. And I said, you've got to come in and call the dogs off these guys. And um and he said, well, if I do, the CEO can't stay. And I said, you put him in place. That's between you two. I'm just, I'm begging you, if these 300 families mean anything, please come in. So they did. They asked the CEO on Tuesday, the 23rd of June. I remember it like yesterday. Two days later, we find out that that CEO was lying about a lot of things. I'll just put it that way. And then um, the, that was on a Thursday. Then Friday, we find out that one of these investments that we made, put money in, uh, went bankrupt. Hmm. I'm like, oh, this is, this is not good. Then by Tuesday of the next week, it's declared Ponzi. By Wednesday, another $2.2 billion investment. It was medical receivables business that had a perfect track record, 14 years, declared Ponzi. And um, like, that was the beginning of just like all hell breaking loose. And so um, the board asked me to um, stay in the ring. I was kind of a connecting rod for a lot of these families. And, um, and so it became the, you know, accelerated trail of tears, quite frankly, because we had 11 offices around the country, had to shut all those down. I mean, to go bankrupt was going to cost us $300,000 to go bankrupt. Then we find out we have no E&O and no D&O insurance. So we are completely swinging in, in the breeze naked. Like, you know, and I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, 
we got no protection. Wow. We've already lost this money ourselves. We got two kids in college. And uh, she said, well, I married you when we didn't have any money. Like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, yeah, well, it does matter. Because then I'm like, well, what happens if this guy is found out, you know, like it, you know, if he's, he's actually broken the law, does there, is there any blowback on the leadership team? You know, cause I was part of the leadership team. Yeah. And so from that moment on, I started having night terrors. Like I'd wake up in the middle of the night, usually about three times a week, two in the morning seemed like, I don't know why, but two in the morning. And it felt like somebody was choking me. And my, I would hit and I was, I'd be drenched in sweat. And so I hit my uh, pulse and my resting heart rate at the time was 39, 39 to 40. It would be at 140, just like at a, at a workout. And I was, I, I lived in this little village of Chagrin Falls, Ohio, 3000 people. A lot of people knew me. And people say, you look like you're going to die. You don't look good. I'm like, well, I'm only sleeping a couple hours. You know, I wake up terrified every day. You know, we went through FINRA investigations. They're going through all of our emails, blah, blah, blah. They, you know, mm. fortunately, we were clean. I was clean. I mean, I always wanted to be right in the center of the fairway. Like, I, I never wanted to take chances with anybody's money. Yeah. Uh, especially somebody else's. You know, I'd take... If, if I was going to take a chance, it was with my money. But even by then, I was more risk averse. So, you know, that was what was, was happening. So I, I finally called two friends of mine, one in Charlotte and one in Boise, Idaho, that had been through fire. They are just faithful, faithful men. And I, I called them and I said, I left them messages and I said, I don't understand. But I said, I have fasted. I have prayed. I've got these scripture cards mm. about fear, but I feel powerless against this. Like it, it I, my word picture was I was a raggedy Ann doll in the mouth of a Rottweiler and my stuffing was just getting spewing all over the place. And even the words of my wife, which were supposed to be comforting, Hey, we didn't have anything still student still couldn't call, calm that. And so Ironically, both of these guys don't even know each other. They both said the same thing to me. Gary, it's about trust. Can you, and, and surrender, can you trust God even if your worst fears come upon you? Well, my worst fears were not only I've already lost the money, but then what happens about a lawsuit? So they take the little bit that I got left, which is my house. I can't keep my kids in college. Uh, I get thrown in jail because something happened because of the CEO, you know, like that was pretty, pretty terrible, you know? Yeah. So, um, and they said, can you trust him even if your worst fears come upon you? Well, that was a, that was a defining moment for me because my, I had this recurring thought and prayer every like must have been thousands of times a day but and it would go like this lord i know you can deliver me will you deliver me please deliver me repeat just thousands of times well it's the wrong question 
you know, wrong questions. And my, so I had to go back and like, well, God, have you proven yourself throughout history? Yes. We had actually been through a, a book for a year, a, a study group, and it was on the historical evidence of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, just from the historical record, had nothing to do with the Bible. It was just all based on history. Well, that was very compelling. Okay. Then I had to say, all right, check. Next thing is, well, did I have enough experience or did I have any experiences in my life where if somebody put a gun to my head and said, recant your faith or we're pulling the trigger? I, there are some defining moments in my life that I cannot deny. Now, there have been plenty of prayers that I've prayed that never came to pass or they weren't answered the way I wanted them. That's for sure. But I had to say, yes, that's true. So those two things, I was like, all right, well, where, am I also, where else am I going to go? I mean, like, I hate this situation. Don't want to, I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy, honestly. Mm. But what am I going to do? And so I just thought, all right, you have proven yourself, whether you deliver me or not. It's kind of like at one point, Jesus said to his disciples, you know, you're going to have to drink my blood and, you know, uh, and, and th there's no place for me to put my head even. Well, they they all split. Hundreds of them split. And he goes to Peter, are you going to split too? And Peter is like, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. And that's kind of where I came down to. I'm like, I can't deny this. I don't like this. You know, you're not my genie. You created the heavens and the earth. I did not. I hate being in this situation. And what was interesting is I started sleeping that moment. Mm. I, and it got worse. So that was in August. That was towards the end of August of 09. It kept getting worse through the end of 09. And then it, it started subsiding a little bit in 2010. But um, investigations were still going on. I mean, I just got notified, must have been this summer, they released from federal prison some of the guys that I was on the phone with in one of those Ponzi's. And wow. because I had money in it, they have to let you know, like if they're moving a prisoner or whatever, they had to let me know, hey, they've released these guys. Hmm. So I never got away from like the horror and the reminder of like how in the world, you know, this happened. Um. And we didn't take due diligence lightly. We went above and beyond what was called for, and yet it still wasn't enough. So that was this massive defining moment of just being surrendering, because there's so much that was completely out of my control. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. And I was scared of what if, right? But it's like, well, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to try to find some thanks and things that I can give thanks for in the middle of it and then let the chips fall where they may. And guess what? You know, you know, since then, you know, my wife had a football size mass removed from her in 2017. You know, we didn't know if it was cancer. We didn't know like that's terrifying. At the same time, I had lost my job. Oh, well, that's really bad. We can't even afford health insurance. And we got this massive. Well, Life has these moments that are completely outside of our control. And what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And, you know, 
so I, I would say that those like crucible experiences have have helped me. Now, do I still have times of fear? Of course. But what am I going to do? What am I going to focus on? And so that's 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 my experience. That's my story for sure. You know, it's not everybody's, but that's exactly what's happened to me. That's crazy. I mean, <laughs> the whole sleepless nights thing and waking up like that. I mean, I'm sure. And and even years later that you got that that phone call. And I, I like that you brought up, um, you know, faith in Christ and that, too, and how he helped deliver you from from that segment there. Let me ask you this last question on that. How, um, you know, you, you mentioned you had you know wife and kids and kids in college at the time. How did you go about, you know, being like a strong leader of the household, right? And and everything when Oof. stuff's hitting the fan, well, right? I don't know that I was strong, honestly. Yeah. Um, I was very transparent with the kids and um, and with my wife. I mean, you know what's interesting is our our those closest to us, and in my case, it's my wife and children. They know me better than anybody. They know, they know my weaknesses. They know my failings. They know my idiosyncrasies. They, they know that, quite frankly, fear has had a grip on me much of my life. And to go through that, which that was a massive, you know, that was a, a pinnacle moment of fear. Yeah. Um, but then, and and seeing what we were walking through, and you know, shuttering offices and seeing money gone and blah blah blah. But then, you know, especially I think my wife seeing the fact that I'm oh I'm I'm sleeping like a baby in the middle of disaster. Mm. That was probably one of the most things, and and you know. For me, and I've been brotherized so badly by other Christians, you know, so let's just call a spade a spade. Um, you know, um, I've been burned so badly, probably close to a million dollars by, by people that I trusted that, you know, had theological ducks in a similar row to me and yet feet of clay or bad choices, you know, it's usually, it's rarely one bad choice. It's but a series of like incremental that lead you down to a bad path. And quite frankly, I am just as capable as any of them. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fully aware of that. But for me, the litmus test is if, if I'm, if I have this persona out there of strength and whatever and gregariousness, but I'm, I'm not making a positive difference in the lives of my wife and children, then I have failed. Mm -hmm. I've failed. Um, and so for me, that's the litmus test of like, am I actually walking this walk or not? And I'm not perfect at it, you know, and I'll admit it. But when we lose the ability to be humble and say, I screwed up and I am wrong, or please forgive me. When we lose that, we're in real danger, I think. And that's where I saw, you know, with some of the guys that have really hurt me financially and emotionally, it's because they refuse to own their stuff and they would just hide and make excuses and deflect. And again, I know I am fully capable of doing the same thing. So, but it's a huge warning sign. Like, I don't want to be like that. 
Yeah. I like that you mentioned humility. I think a lot of times like success gets to people, right. And it just kind of changes their whole persona. Yeah. And would you say that being humble kind of helps you stay just, I, I guess, a good person throughout all that or. Well, you know, what's interesting. So when I, I had never been around real wealth, I mean, I was brought into this group in 04. I invested in them. The, the screening criteria, you, you were, you're being basically groomed to be asked to come in. It was a quarter million dollar minimum to come into this group. Had to have certain financial hurdles. I was at the very bottom. Trust me. I was at the very bottom. I barely cleared the bar. But you had to have PL responsibility in your career, and you had to have a high integrity, low ego screen. That mm. so somebody had to sponsor you. You know, they were a sponsor of you, and you didn't even know it. And you had to have a willingness to help somebody with no strings. Well, those that criteria alone is like amazing. So the the people that were in this group were some of them been CEOs of big petrochemical companies hmm. that you would know. And some of them own major league sports teams that you would know. Um, and others that were ultra rich, you know, billionaire kind of people that you wouldn't know anything about. Them. But the thing that I, I learned because I, one of my roles with these guys was to help connect them to one another because they're all targets they're all high value targets to somebody. Everybody wants something from them and they can't trust anybody for good reason. Yeah. So I got to know them and their stories. And one of the things that we did is we had it in our database, how they made their money, the things that were important to them, their areas of passion, expertise, their kids, blah, blah, blah. So that when we came upon a deal, we could connect them or connect them to one another in a safe way. We didn't ask for anything back. And because I heard so many of their stories and I, I got to know a lot of them personally, there was always the, the underlying thing was humility. Like, and the, the other thing is, is most of them could never spend all the money that they had. And yet they were still working way beyond retirement age, not because they were trying to earn more money, but they were trying to either help their kids in their business or help somebody else in mentoring, or they just enjoyed mentally staying sharp. And that really shifted my understanding because my, my, my dad was an educator and he was an entrepreneur on the side because he had to be, and, and he was just a creative kind of guy. And my mother was a nurse and she was also kind of an entrepreneur on, on the side but we came from very humble means. I mean, they were farmers, you know, they came from farm families and we lived in a very, very, very humble means. Um, but that, that shifted for me, like that is so beautiful. Now we had a few people, very few that were kind of wannabes, you know, they cleared, but they were in that group because they wanted to be getting to know these other people they were the most demanding, most prideful. They usually drove the most expensive cars. You know, there was this one guy who's a billionaire. He rolled up. He wanted to meet with us at a Longhorn Steakhouse, and he drove up in a Chevy Lumina. What? Wow. He, he wasn't coming in a lime green Lamborghini <laughs> or, or a Rolls Royce, <laughs> you know, so... 
Yeah. Well, let me ask you that. I kind of want you to dive a little bit deeper on that. So what, what do you say? I mean, you've met a lot of people uh, that are ultra high net worth, which I believe is what 30 million in assets and above, or is it higher? Yeah. I mean, it changes. It depends on who is defining it. So like my question is what separates those folks, the ultra high net worth, whatever that's defined now from an asset perspective to just the, the the high net worth individuals, maybe folks that have a couple million compared to someone who has 50. I mean, what are like, is there any deciding factors or does luck kind of play a lot of involvement? in it? You know, it's funny. If you ask these people, now we had one, one family that inherited 80 million. <laughs> the other one inherited 330 million. Those were the only two that really had inheritance. And in both wow. cases, it had tremendously damaging effects on their family mm. and on all kinds of things. Um, they weren't prepared for it and they're really good people. But most of these other people, if you ask them, this one guy owned a cannery and he's probably worth 300 million. And he just, it, one of the most humble guys you'd ever meet. He's like, I just got luck. You know, I just had good people. They were all grateful. They were, they, they would all, and yet they were, they were dumb as a fox. They were really smart, you know, but humble. They were kind of street smart. And a lot of them weren't very educated. Some of them, you know, were, but a lot of them not. Um, but they were, they were genuinely humble and they were curious. They had high, you know, curiosity factors. A lot of them were very well read. Um, but, and they knew how to, like, they had a sense about seeing a, a need or an untapped thing. Or, and so I'll, I'll give you an example of this one family. And they, they, I don't think they ever came into the group, but they, um, the guy was, um, he worked on the railroad. And his wife, I think, worked in like social services or something, like, Nothing, you know, and I think they were in Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. And if I'm not mistaken, they had just given away like 250, $250 million anonymously. Wow. And they, this guy loved to hunt and um, he and some of his hunting buddies thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if we owned some land sometime, you know, so we could go hunt. Well, they scraped together some money. Well, they ended up finding that there's a lot of money in timber. Mm. And so, um, I mean, this guy became extremely wealthy, but you would never, ever, ever know it, you know? And they, 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 they didn't lose sight of what, you know, where they came from. I mean, in some ways it's, you know, kind of like the Oracle of Omaha. Right. You know, um, you know, he stayed in the same house. He doesn't live lavishly. He's a multi-billionaire, but he's kind of grounded, you know, and that's what I found with a lot of these folks. Um, so money just didn't define them. Mm. And, and what they did did not define them. You know, they lo- they were family people by and large. They were big family people. Yeah, that's super interesting that like they've stayed humble that that long, and that's also interesting that only two folks out of that group inherited the money, like everyone else 
created it themselves. Also equally as interesting that the two that did inherit the money seem to have the most problems internally and everything. That's it's kind of fascinating in my opinion. Yeah. It was, it was actually very sad to hear yeah. their stories because they would, one of them said, um, the wife said, yeah, the day that we found out that they had inherited all this money was the worst day of their life. And she said, wow. um, our friend's favorite sayings became, it must suck to be you. Wow. And, and out of jealousy. And so what they would do is they create, you know, well, hey, let's go ski together. Well, we can't afford it. Well, we'll pay for it. Oh, let's, by the way, we'll, we'll charter a, a jet together. Okay, great. Well, then they became the center for um, entrepreneurial stupid ideas. You know, hey, you guys will pay for it. Okay, well, then at some point, the gravy train has to stop. You know, it's unsustainable. I mean, a lot of the NBA players or a lot of professional athletes see this same thing happen. Then when all of a sudden they cut them off, boom, gone, you know, or they just can't relate anymore. You know, these kids, their friends and, you know, and neighbors that they had pre-wealth, and a lot of times they define it as pre-wealth, you know, they would go play tennis together. They, they would go, you know, grab a beer together. They'd go to, you know, a local restaurant, but not Del Frisco's or Ruth's Chris. And now all of a sudden they can't relate to them. You know, they're, they're, they're worried about how do we make the next rent payment or keep the kids in college or whatever. And these people, that's not their issue, but their issue becomes who do I trust? I, yeah. everybody wants something from me they, and nobody really loves me for me. Hmm. That, that was the saddest part of what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. With, with the other folks that obviously had, you know, the wealth and they created it, you touched on how, how the characteristics, you know, they were humble, kind of like the Oracle of Omaha, you know, um, yeah. Warren Buffett and everything, but did you yeah. ever see any like habits that they all had? You mentioned like reading and stuff, but did they have any like, all of them seem to do these four things every single day or something. Well, so between those and folks that I've coached, yeah, there are some things. Now, you know, a lot of the folks that were in this group were Midwest, you know, kind of Houston oil people, um, Bentonville, Arkansas, a lot of Walmart, you know, early execs mm-hmm. or people that supplied into Walmart, uh, that kind of stuff or farmers or whatever, but a common theme that I, I've seen in the most successful CEOs that I've coached and that I've been around as well, um, a humility and others focus, a kind of a high curiosity and a love for reading or podcasts or learning. Let's just put it learning, but a lot of them, um, most of them were in paid peer-to-peer groups, whether it be a Vistage, a C12, um, those kind of things. Um, CEO Focus is another one. Um, A lot of them actually did have coaches that, you know, whether they're using strategic coach or they're using somebody with EOS or um, entrepreneurial operating system for anybody wondering what EOS is, um, scaling up with Vern Harnish. Mm. They had that. Uh, fitness was another like common thing. You know, they, they had 
health and wellness, because we did see people that had spent so much of their lives just like building, 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 building. And then once they built, they realized they had kind of destroyed their, their health or even some of their relationships. And there was this mourning and trying desperately to reclaim that. Um, and not all of them were very successful in that, you know, it's like, so that, that sense of stewardship of this body, you know, and, and they weren't, you know, all eating tofu and whatever. Some of them were, you know, extremely, but most of them were, I would just say balanced, but they were, and a lot of them, you know, they're early morning people. I am not, I'm a, I'm a late night, later morning guy, but a lot of them are early morning people as well. Those were, a lot of the very like common things. Oh, one other thing that was interesting is a lot of them had this one thing that made them like, it was a personalization or a personal expression thing. So mm. some guys like they, they like, they had all the money in the world, but they liked, you know, jacking up their Raptor or whatever they, th- that was their one thing. Or another guy had eyeglass collection, you know, just like that was his thing. Um, so there was this sense of like not necessarily having to conform, but there's this one like, this is kind of who I am. This is like important to me. Rarely. Most of them were not golfers. That was the other thing that was interesting. Oh, wow. Most were not golfers. And maybe I should give up golfing then if, uh, if that's the thing. No, if it's <laughs> important, they doing it. Yeah, no, it is important to me. So no, that's, that's pretty unique. Um, along the health lines, I mean, you're, you're pretty fit yourself, obviously. I mean, what are, what are kind of your routines here? You were just talking before we started recording, like doing push-ups and pull-ups handstands. So like, what's kind of your uh, routine there? Yeah. Well, um, since COVID in particular, I haven't been inside the Harris Y yet. So, but we've got a half mile cinder track and, so I do a Murph every Monday. Do you know what a Murph is? I do not. What is a Murph? All right. So um, it's a CrossFit thing that they do every Memorial Day weekend to honor a guy that was killed in action in Afghanistan. Mm. Uh, I think it was an army. His last name was Murphy. And it was one of his favorite workouts. And so what it is, is uh, you wear a 20-pound vest to simulate his body armor. You do a one mile run, you do a hundred pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and another mile run all for time with wearing a 20 pound vest. So <laughs> I love doing it. It, you like, do it every Monday? so good every Monday. Wow. Okay. Every Monday. And, and, and you want to heave along uh, the first time you do one, even without the vest. Um, but I do that. And since, since COVID I run running as part of like five days a week, typically maybe six, but then I'll do, um, and I don't have any weights at home. I have two forty-five pound, um, plates that I used when we had some water damage that I needed to curl down the, <laughs> the boards and get them to simmer down. So I have those and I'll do curls with those. And, um, and then a lot of just body weight stuff. I'm part of a thing called F3. Um, and I lead a a guy's group and it was started by a green beret here in Charlotte. 
Uh, they've got thousands of these peer-to-peer men-led um, workouts, but they're heavy body weight type stuff. And um, so I lead, I co-lead one of those on Sunday afternoons at 4.30 p.m. at the Myers Park High School parking lot. And um, we've got four guys that are in their 70s and one guy that's 80 down to 25. And usually, and the, I have the 80 year old, his nickname is money. I have him when I'm queuing it or, you know, leading that workout, I'll devote at least five to 10 minutes of the 45 minute workout money lead us through an ab crushing workout. He destroys everybody. Like no <laughs> it's hilarious to hear these 25 and 26 year old guys moaning and I'm seeing them drop their feet because they can't hang. <laughs> And, and the 80 year old is like in the ring. So um, do a lot of that. And then I do a lot of pull-ups and push-ups and dips and stuff like that. And I do handstands three days a week, see how long I can hold it three, three rounds and stuff like that. Yeah. Would you say that uh, that's awesome, by the way, that's, that's a hell of a lot more than what I do. I go to the gym six times a week, but it's like 30 minute lift then I'm done. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. this, this 80 year old would, would probably wreck my abs now that I'm thinking about that. <laughs> he would, but it's so much fun. Like, yeah. you know, those guys are so inspiring. Um, and you build really good common bonds. Cause we, we work out whether it's raining, snowing, that's cool. We're out there. Would you say that, uh, the folks that like take their health more seriously, ultimately become more like successful in the long run in life. And cause you kind of talked about some people that like negated their health a bit um, to have their success. Like what are your thoughts there? I, th- I, I think there's something to that. First of all, um, it, it's mind clearing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, wh- and I had this like aha moment um, when I was at bank of America is still nation's bank at the time. And a woman who worked for me and ran one of my groups, one of my teams, um, she said, she says to me, when's the last time you ran? Because I would typically run like over my lunch hours or whatever. And, um, and I wasn't lifting weights really at that time. But um, I said, I don't know, a few days, why? And she goes, ah. and I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, you're a little cranky. And I go, Really? She's like, yeah. And so she said, I'm going to take over your calendar and um, we're going to have a code. And and at least three days a week during the week, you're going to run at lunch. And and the code on the calendar is meet with Jim. So meet with Jim and get your butt out there and run. And what I found was my wife concurred. (laughs) She's like, you need to get your butt out there and run or go do something because I don't know. I mean, it's an endorphin rush for sure, but I also, so I think that is a huge deal, whether it adds another day or not. I think the quality of life definitely does. Mm -hmm. And I, especially over lunch hours, I, I love doing it now. I'll, I'll just work it in whenever I can, but it's a priority every day whether it's earlier in the morning or in evening before dinner, rarely after dinner, but sometime during the day, I got to do it because like 
I, I, I get kind of a, a clear head and another lease on life, like a new energy. And I felt that way, especially at the bank where you're in meetings, 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 meeting me. You know, it's just like, and then you work at night to get the stuff done because you're in meetings all freaking day. But I came back with kind of a new bounce in my step after lunch. And I just like slammed down some food. I'd bring a lunch or whatever and slam it down. But I, it just made a huge difference. And I think the other thing that comes into play is when you do that, you have some discipline. It just, yeah, there's something about repeat and discipline. And you can have, you can go take that to an extreme to where everything's disciplined and then you just get freaking burned out. Mm. I, I need some flexibility too, but that's one thing that I'm not relinquishing. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I think, I, I think the, the whole fitness thing, I mean, your energy levels are significantly higher on, on the days you get workouts in than, than not. Um, Without that, a doubt. That's cool that, that uh, Nations Bank was like, hey, you're going to meet with Jim. Like, I love that they push that on you to do that. <laughs> Meet with Jim. Yeah. And I, and I love that. That's and that was funny. in like 1997. Yeah. You know, so yeah. since then. Yeah. No, that's funny. Um, are, are you still doing the anything but uh, typical podcast, by the way? We are. Nice. So what, this is what's been happening with that? two plus years. We do it every other week. Uh, just recorded another one today. We released one Wednesday with Omar George. And I love doing that. At one, I love doing it with Ben McDonald, my co-host. He was the one that came to me a little over two and a half years ago and said, man, I'd love, I was on his podcast at one point, three or four years ago. And he said, hey, would you consider doing a podcast with me? And I said, ooh, you know, he's much younger than me. He's almost half my age. But I said, yeah, on two conditions. One, I want to only fo focus on local entrepreneurs who are humble enough to tell the back, you know, stage stories, the behind the scenes, the not so glamorous, the difficult things. Cause he also, he sold his first company when he was 24. Hmm. Um, so I want to focus that. And I really want to focus on Charlotte with, with Charlotte ties because I was sick of hearing about, all these entrepreneurial things happening in the RTP or in Denver, Colorado, or in uh, Austin, Texas. There's so many cool things happening in Charlotte that I really wanted to tell those stories. And I didn't want to focus on the Gary V's of the world, not to take anything away from that guy or anybody else, but the unsung heroes, the people that are actually doing it right, um, you know, that have some humility and that care about their culture and all that. And I said, the second thing is I want to call it anything but typical. And he goes, why? And I said, because we're all anything but typical and our thumbprints and our fingerprints prove it. We were all uniquely designed. I firmly believe that. And, um, and we all have a uniqueness and we have a unique DNA on purpose. A lot of times we just need to help uh, encourage people to embrace that and unlock it rather than try to be in lockstep with everybody else and be what they are told they're supposed to be. Mm. No, that's cool. I, I like that. It's named anything but typical. Um, <laughs> and every, every person's different. And I also like that you're focusing on not more of the underground entrepreneur, but like guys that are much more relatable. It's like, I, I listen to Gary Vee sometimes, but it's like, okay, there's only so much you can relate to that guy. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. like, 
he's one of the rare human beings that are, it's like he can do 20 hour days and not get burned out in his forties. You know, it's very, yeah. very, very rare breed. So I like that you're bringing that to the table and everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, the hustle culture definitely has some collateral damage. That's sad to see actually. Oh, well, this is what I got to do. Well, why? You know, we, one of my coaching clients this summer, they said, and they were on pace to hit a big goal that they had set three years ago for their three year, three, I call it the three hag, three year highly achievable goal. And they said, you know, some of our people are getting burned out. Like it's just been tough. This whole COVID thing, they've seen meteoric growth in the middle of it, but it's, and they expanded markets. And what do you think, Gary? And I said, it's just a stinking number. You guys are making more money than what you, you know, than you can, you've ever thought you would. You've got a good team at, at what point? So what's it, is it worth it to hit your number no, it's like doing a PR in, in a road race. Nobody cares. You do. They don't. Yeah. Nobody gives a rip, you know? So like, is it worth it to lose your health or to lose keep members or to have their, their, their families fray because you've got them on the road so much or whatever? Is it worth it? Yeah. Would you, would you ever answer that affirmatively? No. Like, then you know what to do. And they backed off the gas, but they almost like needed permission. Like, oh, it's just a stinking number. And, um, you know, so anyway. No, that's cool. How, um, let me ask you on that. I mean, I have like some crazy goals, financial goals, business goals. Like, yeah, a lot of people listen to this do. But sometimes I'm like looking at this number, like make this much or save this much or invest this much. And I'll be like, man, I got to do whatever I can to hit this number. But like, you just kind of touch on it. It's like, wait, who actually like cares? It's just a number, you know? Nobody cares, you know? And I've seen too many guys. There's actually a book and I've met this guy. Uh, it's on my shelf there. It's called Seal of God right up there. But it's a mm-hmm. Navy SEAL. Like, I like, I like SEAL stories. Um, and this guy, from the time he was like in high school that's what he wanted to do like and he was a professional like skateboarder guy sponsored blah 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 california california guy well that's what he's going to do and that's what he's got his sights set on he he makes it all these other guys wash out he he talks a lot about bud's training and everything that he went through but once he hit that is like this major letdown now what and and he he actually went into a big depression. Um, we we can set up these false sense sets of goals. Once we hit them, what's it matter? And I, when I was you know I was brought in to do my first turnaround at age twenty eight, and I had no business doing it. I had no credentials, but what they said that they needed, I actually was good at. I'm like okay. So we did it. We turned it in nine months. We turned it into something that I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. This and put my name on the door. It's what I want. And I, I was very focused on this is the kind of firm we're building. Had good young talent, younger than me. Um, 
it was a cool and fun place. It was very hip and very exciting. It was very exciting for me. Well, as I was chasing that, um, I was also starting to run roughshod of over anybody that questioned it or got in my way. And, and I'm embarrassed about that. I mean, I've, I've, re, I've repented many times to this one guy who will never pick up when I call him mm. because I just ran him out. I was just ruthless. I, I wasn't cussing. I was whatever, but I was just wrong. I was dead wrong. Well, then I catch my partner taking money out behind my back and lying about it multiple times, you know, and everything that we had built was gone. Like, I mean, it was still there. He was just pilfering it. And so I had to leave my own company because I'm not going to stay in bed with a guy that's lying and cheating. Hmm. Not going to do it. And so my name was on the door. And at that point, my choice was either I destroy him by exposing him or I destroy my name yeah. by taking the company across the street and everybody in town knew who he was. He had been the head of corporate communications for Cessna Aircraft and he was 20 years older than me. Everybody knew him and he was a good guy. He just made a series of bad choices. Hmm. And that's what brought me to Charlotte in 1994. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, I'm like, and at what point it can get taken from me like that. I, I mean, I saw empires. We had a guy that had a hundred million dollars of his own aircraft, a hundred million flew his own G4 into Burke Lake front airport. So that he could meet with us at, a very high profile sports venue that one of the owners was in our group. When 09 hit 08 and 09, he had to liquidate all that. Everything that he had was like gone. He was the, he said, I don't know if he was or not, but he said he was the largest borrower of bank of America period. Wow. Humongous developer. He lost pretty much everything. Well, at what point? What's it worth it? You know, mm. I, I I love chasing dreams, but um, a friend of mine said, you know, he, he had um, he and his brother bought business from their mom and dad, and they grew it exponentially into where it was worth a lot of money. And before they exited for a lot of money, they 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 were operating out of like a wood paneled like trailer unit, you know, like it's unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it was tens and tens of millions of dollars. They sold this thing for. And he said, um, and I was just so impressed by this guy. And he said, you know, our, our parents, and they, they were raised Amish. Hmm. Our parents raised us to where he said, you know, we're to approach life with an open hand and God can put in, in his, the hand, whatever he wants mm. that he can take out. But he said, when we run into trouble is when we do this, when we grab and say, it's mine. Well, that guy, that same guy, I saw not just talk about it, but years later, he lost over $5 million in our company mm. and he got crushed by others. So he was five of the 30 million. 
I, and he kept me alive. You know, when there was no money to pay, he was able to at least help me pay my bills while I stayed in the ring. He lost a lot more money than just that in another adventure as well. And I saw him graciously accept that. And he, we had this lunch or breakfast one, one day over, over Thanksgiving. And he said, you know, I've thought about it. And if I could have all my money back, but I could not have the relationships or I could not have the lessons learned, I'd say, keep the money. Hmm. Wow. And he never got the money back, believe me. But that's the kind of guy and that kind of gratitude. And I thought, man, that like that analogy of an open palm. Yeah, you can dream. It's good. But when we when we say this is mine, we're in real trouble. Yeah, that such a crazy story. I mean, it's like just very eye opening to realize that it can be gone at any time. Um, boom, boom, and, and but the relationships, right? If you keep those up and you actually invest into those, you know, those I think those can stay, right? But it's people throw those by the wayside, I guess, on the whole success journey, unfortunately. But it's what we prioritize, man, and we find it out real quickly when things are good or when things are bad. That's what I've learned, you know. When things are really good, that's when my partner started pilfering. Mm. You know, when things are bad, you also find people like scattered. You know, are they are they sticking with you when it's rough? Yeah, yeah, that's a good test right there. Um, last question for you, and then I want you to highlight everything that you got going on. Uh, I see the American flag behind you. So, how can uh, people support this country in this crazy time that we're in right now? Man, that's a good question. Um, you know, my ancestors came to this country very poor from actually what's now Ukraine. It was called Prussia at the time. And I got to experience up in Cleveland in particular, we had a whole bunch of Eastern Bloc people that fled and many left during communism or right after the wall came down. Hands down, the most patriotic people I've ever met in my life. They are the most grateful. They, they don't take freedom for granted. They're thankful. A lot of them own their own, a lot of guns. <laughs> so, I, you know, I was raised a pacifist, all right? So that that's not, you know, even my thing. I'm not opposed to guns at all. But yeah. the I, I, I think this country was built on a lot of diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. And we've become intolerant of diversity of thought. If you're not in my echo chamber, you're bad, you know, and vice versa. And I just don't believe that, you know, one, I think it's important to freaking vote and vote for not party line, but vote for common sense. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of self-dealing, you know, I always question how does somebody go into public service and barely make, uh, you know, they're not making huge wages. Even the president, what, 250000 a year or whatever. Okay, well, that sounds great if you're making 30000 but you're living in freaking D.C. Yeah. And yet you come out and you're making, you're worth $7 million, $11 million. <laughs> You just bought a beach house in, in Hawaii, you know, on the beach, and you're concerned about global warming, but you bought a beach house? Like, follow the money. And so I think, you know, what can I do about that? I'm going to vote appropriately, but 
you know, even as I vote, what happens when somebody else? I think that's important, but I also think it's important to just be respectful for somebody that doesn't believe the same way you do, but also stand for what you believe is right. If even if it costs you, and that is the difference between conviction and preference. A lot of people will prefer, oh, I want this or that. But what happens when it costs you something? Yeah, that is that's the litmus test, you know, and and, you know, so but I, I think we've just lost this common decency. And I think the other thing is, is go back and you can go to a number of places. Hillsdale College, and people go, oh, gosh, conservative. I, I don't really care about that title, but go back to see what the Constitution actually says. Right. Most people don't know history. And so if you don't know history, you're going to be destined to repeat the foibles of it. And the, the biggest one that I'm concerned about is the fall of the Roman Empire. They fell mm -hmm. from within. They, they, they weren't conquered by an outside. They, they fell from within. And a lot of times, if you look at history of civilizations that have failed, it's when they became fat, comfortable, lazy. And, um, and then majoring on stupid things that are not the important, you know, and trying to get everybody else into mass conformity about this or that. Yeah. So, you know, probably idealistically and ideologically, I would be more of an independent, I suppose. Um, and, you know, de definitely fiscally conservative. And I'm also conservative on, like, I would say, based on biblical values, I'm not shoving it down somebody else's throat. But it's like, please respect life. Please respect yeah. me. And, um, and I'll you can have a completely different opinion, but I'm, I'm going to show respect to you. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I like, uh, I like that you started with like the diversity of thought. I mean, like we were talking about this before, like you can't even have these conversations anymore with people. I mean, and I have a couple of friends that are completely opposite viewpoints that I am, you know, conservative thinking, conservative beliefs. And I've been actually able to have like some solid conversations. Hey, why do you think this way? You know, the, yeah. Uh, the seven habits of highly effective people seek to understand before uh, yeah. being understood. And so it's like, I think the more conversations that people can have at opposite viewpoints respectfully with each other, like, I think that's, what's going to help make the world a better place. I, I do too. And, and quite frankly, that was one of the things that I loved working at bank of America under Hugh mm. Paul. Hugh would, he's a, like a blue dog demo, Democrat, right? Um, and there are things, social causes and things that we probably don't necessarily see eye to eye on. But, man, I loved working under him because he was a difference maker, you know, and he did care. He, he did listen. He gave more shots to minorities, more shots yeah. to uh, women um, in business. Like, I really appreciate that because he wanted to have Charlotte be a great place to raise a family and grow a business. And he would always say, I want Charlotte to be a world-class city. That's a great place to raise a family and grow a business. And right before the lockdown, I was with him introducing him mm. to another friend that's running a, a nonprofit that's actually doing a lot with 
the homeless, not the chronically homeless, but, you know, people, women in particular, or that were, you know, being trafficked or whatever. And like with affordable housing and a, a plan that, that actually works. And so I was like, you know, Mr. McCall, you need to know this person. And so when we were together, I said, you know, look, I, I remember he, you saying this many times. And he said, well, it's still not, it, 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 I said, it's become that. And he said, but not for everybody yet. Mm. And that's his quest. It's, it's yeah, but not for everybody yet. And so that's kind of his relentless passion to help do that. And I think if we all just do our part, you know, we're all uniquely wired, do the stuff that matters, that's important to you, that's also trying to help and make a positive difference. I think that's that's the bottom line. Yeah, I love it. He He's an absolute legend. I mean, just completely turned Charlotte itself around. So I'm glad you brought his name up. Um, yeah. But now, man, what, what do you have going on right now that, that you just want to highlight out there to, to the listeners? I would love for you to kind of take the floor if you have anything. No, I, I really don't, man. I love what I get to do. Um, I'm starting to write a book. I don't know if anybody's ever going to read anything about it, but it's on the impo- imposter syndrome oh, cool. and some of my own story and a lot of CEOs that I've dealt with that really successful that still had this imposter syndrome. Well, I can't, you can't know about this part of my background or that I didn't finish college or that whatever, I had a child out of wedlock or whatever. Mm. I can't, you know, you can't know about that, you know, so I got to maintain this facade. And um, I, I've seen way too many people and I know that it, it really impacted me um, early on. And, you know, so that's kind of fun. I love working at BGW CPA. I'm not a CPA. Don't want to be, I'd be terrible at it, but like helping businesses grow and get healthy. And, you know, we say we want to help you stay, save money, make money, stay out of trouble and have fun. And like, all those are really important. So even if they change the the tax code tomorrow, we would still be in business because that's what we're really good at doing. I love doing that. I love the people that I get to work with. I love roaming the streets of Charlotte, North Carolina and helping connect other good people. Um, so I, I feel like I feel more alive today and I'm about ready to turn 60 than I did when I was 25. Wow. And I'm stronger than I'm at 60 than I was at 25. That, that's for sure. Are you stronger than the money, the the eighty year old that you brought up? Or I, I can hold, yeah, I can hold my own against money. Yeah, and he has me do his push ups. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I mean, that's that's cool about the book. Imposter syndrome is something like everyone deals with, um, especially I think younger people when they first start out too. And trying, like for me with this podcast, it's like, man, who am I to do this podcast? Like my yeah. background, but it's like. Yeah, I'm trying my best to get past that. So I'm, I'm going to definitely read that book. Well, I got to finish it, but I'm about, I think I'm about two thirds of the way nice. through. But I even heard Tim Ferriss' podcast. We were driving back from Orlando from a conference that me and Adam Boatsman uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, Hugh Jackman is being interviewed by Tim Ferriss. Hugh Jackman could buy Tim Ferriss multiple times through. He's a lot more successful, a lot more famous, blah, blah, blah. And yet Hugh Jackman says, yeah, man, I was like getting really nervous about like, who am I to be on this Tim Ferriss podcast? Like, 
You're doing all these amazing things. And I said, Adam, did you just hear that? That's imposter syndrome right there. But he, 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 he put a big spotlight on it and made it go away. Mm. You know, if we, that's the weird thing about it. It's like, if you put a spotlight on it and say, Hey, yeah, it becomes freeing. Yeah. And it doesn't have to define you. Like I don't go in, like flop it down on the table. Yeah. I'm a college dropout. What about you? That doesn't yeah. define me, but it's, it's the truth. I am called right. dropout. So what? Mm. Doesn't matter. A lot of the C- CEOs that, that I've worked with that have hundred million dollar companies are college dropouts. Some of yeah. them didn't even go to high school or, you know, they, one in particular barely finished high school. <laughs> wow. That's, it's funny how that works. Yeah. <laughs> and he's wicked smart. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Oh, wicked smart. But school was not, but he's wicked smart. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's unique. Well, Gary, thank you so much for hopping on the show. Yeah, man. Man. This was a, a solid conversation. I know I got a lot fun. of value and the listeners did. So, man, I, I really appreciate it. It was fun, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Again, if you enjoyed it and got some value out of it, share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague. And other than that, I hope you have a fantastic week ahead.